Okay, Funeral Scientist, the episode number 13 is fitting for the subject. In this episode, we are going to talk about a killer who never wanted to be killer, an easygoing and unlucky St. Bernard named Cujo. The name Cujo is often associated with maniacal dogs, but remember Cujo was a good doggy who was loved by his family that included a little boy named Brett. In fact, before going on his rabid rampage, he decided he wasn't going to kill Brett, a fate that was not spared for his father, Joe. In the story, Cujo was doing what dogs do, chasing rabbits. He chased a rabbit into a hole that also contained a bat that bit him on the nose, infecting him with rabies. The virus incubated itself in his body, and when he finally showed his symptoms, it was too late, and Cujo killed his owner, Joe Camber, their neighbor, Gary Prevere, and the sheriff, George Bannerman. Cujo met his demise at the hands of Donna Trenton, a customer of Joe Camber's who had come to the Camber farm for car repairs. The rabid dog trapped her and her son, Tad, in their station wagon on a hot summer day. Desperate to escape to save her son from dying of dehydration, she managed to mortally wound Cujo as she escaped the car by stabbing him in the stomach with a broken baseball bat. Cujo makes one last attempt at her before she uses the sheriff's gun to shoot Cujo in the head. In the book version, she wins earlier when she stabs Cujo in the eye with a broken bat. However, Donna does not escape unscathed, and she is bitten in the leg by Cujo. What happens if a human contracts rabies, and how do they get it? Well, it depends where in the world you live. In the Americas, the most common vector for rabies is bats, as countries in North and South America have basically eliminated domestic animal transmission through vaccines. In Africa and Asia, rabies from dog bites are still the most common source. In the United States, one to three cases of rabies are reported per year. Rabies is a very treatable disease if caught immediately and most people survive if they receive treatment before they show symptoms. However, if it is not treated, it results in death. There are less than 20 people in recorded history who contracted rabies, showed symptoms, and survived. So let's say Donna Trenton is never treated for her rabies. What could she expect to happen to her? First of all, the incubation period amongst people varies and can be as long as two to three months, but as little as one week. The virus has to travel to the brain from the point of the bite and proximity to the brain does matter. In Cujo's case, he showed symptoms quickly because his bite was on his nose. Donna Trenton was bitten on the leg, so she might have a little more time. In addition to the well-known mania and mouth foaming that accompanies rabies, the symptoms she would display are fever, nausea, and vomiting. Victims also suffer from hydrophobia, which is the fear of water. While this does sound strange, the speculation is that the fear stems from the fact that rabies makes it difficult to swallow liquids. Because of the fever, vomiting, and lack of liquid intake, we could expect Donna Trenton would arrive at our funeral home very dehydrated. A dehydrated case is not difficult for embalmers. We have specialized fluids that contain humectants in them. A humectant is a chemical designed to retain moisture. 
In fact, they are common in everyday household items such as hand lotion and some foods. There are two general types, alcohol humectants and colloidal humectants. Alcohol humectants work through a hydrogen bond, wherein the hydrogen atoms in the alcohol attract the hydrogen atoms in the water molecule. An example of this is glycerin. Colloids are particles too large to penetrate cell walls and instead coat the outside of cells and trap water that is released during the cross-linking reaction of formaldehyde with proteins. An example of a colloidal humectant are vegetable oils. Now for this episode's listener question. Did you know there is a spooky skeleton living inside you? The answer is yes, and I am further made uncomfortable knowing that it is always wet. More importantly, how did it get there? Not a lot is known about the evolution of skeletons, but the most recent information tells us that hard parts such as skeletons and hard shells evolved as ocean chemistry changed. Shells and bones are made of calcium carbonate and the earliest fossils with hard parts are found in areas with high concentrations of this. This allowed for biomineralization to create hard parts as the threat from predators grew. So how did my human skeleton form? When I was a fetus, my skeleton was made of cartilage, just like a shark. As I grew, my skeleton ossified as mineral deposits replaced the cartilage. This process continued until I was in my early 20s when my skull was fully hardened. Some might say, based on my behavior, my skull is harder than most. So what does it do for me? Well, first of all, my skeleton ensures that I am not just a puddle of tissue on the floor by providing structure and protection for my body. It also stores minerals for me, and it's where my blood cells are born. So while it does seem strange to be reminded that a wet skeleton lives inside me, I am glad that it's there. And now for something good that's happening. I am giving away free stuff for you to win. For about a year and a half, I've been looking at products in our everyday life that contain embalming chemicals, including formaldehyde. I call these embalming chemicals in the wild. Now I want to see what embalming chemicals in the wild you can find. If you need examples, you can check out my Instagram story highlights for the one that is labeled ECITW. In order to enter, you must follow me on Instagram at Mortracker, M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R, and post your embalming chemicals in the wild video using the hashtag, hashtag embalming chemicals in the wild, and tag me in your post by November 10th, 2021. We will hold a contest to find Instagram's favorite entry, and the winner will receive a free copy of Creating Natural Form, Restorative Art Theory and Application, and all participants will receive a free sticker prize pack. Okay, that's it for this episode. Do you have a question for me? You can email me at funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line podcast question. Are you or someone you know doing something that promotes education, equality, or otherwise 
raises awareness about an issue in funeral service, please send me information about it to funeralsciencepodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, a good thing is happening. As a note here, that has an exclamation mark in it, so be sure to include that in your subject line and I will be sure to read it. You can also follow me on social media. I'm Mort Tracker on Instagram. That's M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R. You can also like the Funeral Science Podcast Facebook page. I've also heard on other podcasts that if you rate and review podcasts you like, it helps them. So if you like this podcast, then please do that wherever you are listening from. All right, everybody. I'll talk to you later.